Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Ray Lewington to my Roy Hodgson. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Ah, Justin, England's women. Very deflating, isn't it? I was watching the game earlier as well as the Norwich Millwall game. Don't know why they were both on at the same time, but there you go. Poor planning on someone's behalf. And it's just all very disappointing. I had all this build up and then that happens. Yeah, it's a familiar feeling of disappointment, uh, but that shouldn't overshadow the achievement of uh, Serena Wiegmann's team and the Spanish finally getting revenge for that heavy defeat in uh, 1588 when the Spanish Armada was comfortably put away. Um, I think that may may have been in the back of their minds. Potentially. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure that was very much <laughs> what they were thinking of as they walked out onto the pitch. The thing is, people haven't been saying it, but England haven't actually played very well in that World Cup. I've watched most of the games apart from one or two and the only good performances were the Australia game and the 6-1 was it against China? Apart Mm. from that, I haven't actually played that well. Yeah, but Spain haven't been fantastic either. They've sort of grown into the tournament because they got absolutely peppered by Japan in the group stages. It was a masterclass of counter-attacking football by Japan, but they they just showed a little bit more in in this game, didn't they? The, the technical technical side of it, where they were they were much better, and the game management was was incredible. It was summed up by uh, I think it's Jenny Hermoso giving Chloe Kelly the middle finger. There's a picture circulating of that, which is. Um, yeah, it just sums it up perfectly. The disappointment and just pure shit house. That performance was yeah, it was great. Doesn't happen enough, does it? <laughs> Don't have enough players giving each other middle fingers on the pitch. Uh, well, if you are deflated and disappointed after England's defeat in the final, then let's cheer you up with some Championship podcasting, shall we? Well, it depends who you support, who you support I suppose. Welcome to the number one Championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're going to go through all the games in the Championship from the past weekend. Talk about some of the news from the past few days and then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson Tate for late right at the end. And Leicester continued their 100% start to the season by beating Cardiff 2-1. Of course, Cesar Casade scored the winner after we expressed our surprise about him going to Leicester. <laughs> Typical. Uh, TJ on Twitter said Leicester had had too much class. Nath said he's feeling very optimistic after that. Ryan said they were average but won. And Ryan's right, Innie. It's another game where Leicester haven't been amazing but still won. Still won. Is that a cause for concern, do you think, just impeach? Or is it a cause for encouragement? Maybe a cause for encouragement. I think it depends what size side of the pessimistic fence you sit on if it was me I'd certainly be concerned but I think if you sit on the other side of that fence you'd be very optimistic about what's co- what's coming up because if you're picking up points and winning games without playing particularly well 
then you then you're going to recognise that there's going to be significant room for for improvement there. And Moresco will will understand that. It's a relatively new squad. There's a lot of moving parts that have been going on throughout the summer. Got to remember as well that. It started quite slow. The appointment took a fair while to, to get sorted along with moving players on and bringing players in. So I don't expect him to, to really hit full gear until maybe, I don't know, October, November. So I'm a little bit more optimistic about it. I'm not certainly not pessimistic about it. I think they will come good eventually. And as you say, they're picking up points, not playing well. It's, it's a good thing at this stage of the season. Yeah. Well, we've got to remember Burnley took quite a while to get exactly. going last season, didn't they? It wasn't until what, around October, where they looked like the side that would ultimately go on to storm the league. They drew a lot of games at that time and it's quite scary to think, I suppose, how many points they could have got if they didn't have that slow start. But with Leicester, there's certainly parallels there, isn't there? The main difference is they're winning, whereas Burnley were just drawing games last season. Mm -hmm. And if they're not playing very well, then, you know, I think the fact that they're still getting wins on the board is definitely a sign of that. The, the class that they have is just shining through in the end. Perhaps when the transfer window's closed and everything's a bit more settled, they'll be a bit more fluent yeah. because, I mean, right now they're playing a centre-half at left-back, aren't they? And mm-hmm. I'm sure in an ideal world, Enzo Maresca would much prefer to play, you know, England international James Justin or Belgium international Timothy Castagna there instead if they, if he had the if he had the choice. And, you know, Castagna's future certainly is a bit up in the air at the moment. So... We might see that at some point, but it might have to be at the end of the window when players' futures are a bit more settled because the same with all three of the teams who have come down, there's still plenty of players who are being linked with moves away, aren't there? Well, that's always the, that's always the key thing that people do forget quite often. Unless you were super productive before the season starts, which Leicester weren't. Let's be fair, they they weren't. Um, it's going to take a while for for those moving parts to to really settle into the right gears and. Um, like I was alluding to, I don't think we'll see the best of Leicester until maybe October, or certainly we won't see what Leicester are about until October. Maybe not the best because they might they might drop off. They might they might certainly drop off, but they also mm-hmm. they might kick it up a, another few gears because they've got the quality in the squad, and we've not seen the best of that quality yet either. We there's a lot of potential with this team. We've seen Kieran Dewsbury Hall really excel, but have we seen Jamie Vardy do damage in the box yet? No, although he did pretty much make the the winner here for Casado. We've not seen Dakar really thrive yet. There's there's a lot of a lot of players there that just haven't hit top form yet. And it's to be expected. We're at the start of the season, but you're winning games, not playing well. Big positives, just a lot of room for improvement. Yeah. Well it goes one or two ways really, doesn't it, when you've got a team who a lot of people fancy for promotion and they start the season off, you know, fairly well. Um I'm thinking back to when it was West Brom two seasons ago. We both yeah. said they would uh, win the league that season. Started off a bit slowly, but we're still getting results on the board. Then everything just went to shit. Exactly. So it goes one or two ways, doesn't <laughs> it? And I'm more inclined to think it's going to go the Burnley way personally, uh, just because I think there's way too much quality in that Leicester squad. So the fact that we're sat here now with them having a 100% start, um, only the second time, I think, in the past 100 years that they've won their first three games of the season, I think. Promising, to say the very least. Uh, what a goal by Aaron Ramsey in this game. 30 yards out and it stayed hit, didn't it? It's a shame that it was for the losing side because in the end it didn't really mean much, did it? But what have you made of old Rambo so far back in a Bluebird shirt, Justin? I think his form is probably indicative of Cardiff's form where he's shown some good spells, some not not, not necessarily not so good spells, but areas where maybe the game, uh, uh, phases where the game maybe passes him by. But... 
I think if Cardiff certainly step up and improve, I think we'll start to see the best of Ramsey because I just don't think we've seen the best of either. But if he's got moments like that in him, then he can certainly he can certainly win games on his own as long as Cardiff are uh, yeah, structured defensively and resolute. But yeah, I think he's, he's been okay. I've not been taken aback by him. He's shown some moments. You look in that Leeds game where he takes a player out of the game and Lee, uh, Cardiff attacking down the left-hand side. So yeah, certainly a lot of a lot of um, moments of class, but we're not seeing 90 minutes of it yet, which is to be expected. He's not played too, too many games over the last couple of years and he's, he's at the wrong end of his career. So yeah, he's, he's been all right, I think, would just be the, the, the outsider's view, I think. Yeah, I think you're perhaps being a bit harsh, Justin. I think he has been very good. He's still got some magic in the old boots, as we saw here, and he's certainly stood out for me so far. You can tell he was an extremely talented player at one point. I mean, I suppose that goes without saying, but I mean, we never doubted his talent, did we? When the signing was made, we said he's obviously still a very good player. It was, you know, we had doubts more over whether it would have the desired effects, and so far we seem to have been kind of right with that because one point from Cardiff's first three games feels a bit like Ramsey's on a different wavelength to everyone else and you've got this player who's extremely talented but is surrounded by a load of players who just aren't as good as him and that makes it a bit difficult for him to work to his full powers I suppose so Mm -hmm. I think he's been very good and he certainly showed some excellent moments of class like in this game and he, he was great against Leeds on the uh, opening weekend as well but I suppose we'll wait and see with, uh, yeah. with him won't we well it's you always get to the sort of the, the chunky part of the season I've said it a few times already uh, since we've been recording since the start of the season is you get to October November when the games really start to build up there's international football as well and this breaks will he pick up a knock will he pick up a car strain will Cardiff will their form drop will it improve there's a lot of moving parts in, as to whether or not I think and Ramsey can, can thrive. He's not finished in 90 minutes yet, has he? Well, exactly, exactly. And that's that's where we're going to start to, to see things because it, you know, if Cardiff's form doesn't improve and they stay on one point for several more games, the the need for Ramsey to really step up and him become an important player and play more minutes and have more impact, um, that, that steps up and ultimately that's going to create a massive risk he might get injured so they're just too many ifs buts and maybes with, with Ramsey at the moment not criticising him by any means I just I think there's a lot of improvement there for him to, to make and that's only going to happen if, if Cardiff improve as well is, is pretty much what I've been saying Norwich beat Millwall 3-0 on Sunday afternoon I tell you what Justin Norwich have certainly stood out so far haven't they yeah, Muggs predicts predicts them to finish nineteenth. Eh? It's uh, incredible, <laughs> incredible. They were simply brilliant. It was a classic performance, and um, it, it's one that makes you stand up and take note because I thought this would be an awkward game for them. I thought Millwall would channel that inner Millwall that they have, where they do make it a horrible, horrible affair for you. But Norwich made them look like bottom dwellers, and that's more credit to to Norwich's approach to this game than it is than it is Millwall's because I thought Norwich was just simply brilliant. They're pressing from the front; they were clinical. They were they were really good, and, and it's not a team that I was expecting to see this season. I happily admit I'm wrong on that one. I know we're only three games in, but I was expecting a slow start slow start but bearing in mind they had a good start last season so they could all go wrong as been alluding to with Leicester but this performance was brilliant and their, their first three performances in the league this season have, you know, have been fantastic we want to stand up and and, and uh, sort of chew, chew on those words a little bit 
Yeah. I mean, let's not get carried away because it is only three yeah. games into the season. It's such a small sample size, but I'll admit Norwich have been very impressive in these first three games. I'm not sure what David Wagner's been cooking over the summer, <laughs> but they look a completely different team to the one which ended last season, don't they? Mm. Gabriel Sara's possibly been the best player in the division so far. He's just been excellent. Mm. Jonathan Rowe, it's come out of nowhere, scored yeah. in every game so far, which is not bad for someone I didn't know even existed until this season. Josh Sargent <laughs> looks to be back in form. It's all gone surprisingly very well so far. And they've probably been the team who have impressed me the most so far this season, with the exception of their southern neighbours. I'm not going to get carried away and start shouting playoffs or anything like that because everything could be very different in a couple of months' time like it was last season when they were flying under Dean Smith and then... Mm -hmm. Look how it ended. Uh, but I will admit, they have been excellent. And this is coming from the man who had them to be the biggest underachievers this season. And, uh, well, I mean, you picked Millwood as your outsider in midweek as well, mm. didn't you, Justin? So, yeah, they're certainly making us look a bit daft so far, aren't they, uh, old Norwich? So hopefully that continues. We asked Millwood fans for their three-word reviews on Twitter. Reese says he's very miserable. And Ben says we need help. Al says time's up for Rowett. Wow. Um what are Mill doing just in defensively? It was a disaster class, wasn't it? They stood out for me on the opening day, but I've had two very disappointing games since then. Yeah, it's it's been a frustrating one. I, I've been really disappointed with them last two games especially. And you go into this game specifically, uh, just the amount of freedom they gave Jonathan Rowe, for example, was just quite st staggering. I'm not even going to mention the sergeant goal because the marking on that, or at least the blocking of runners and marking of territories was just non-existent and terrible. Something you don't expect from three very experienced defenders in uh, Hutchinson, Cooper and, and Wallace and among other players, Danny McNamara, um, and it was criticised online as well. But Jonathan Rowe had the freedom of Norfolk to do whatever he wanted in that game. And it was quite staggering, really, that there wasn't a game plan set up to counter that. And Gabriel Sarri, the amount of chances he created as well. Again, where's the game plan to to counter those 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 um, clear problems that you're going to face? Really surprised, actually, at how poor and ill-equipped Millwall felt in this game. I'm not Rowett Al. I like Rowett. I'd like him a lot. But this team looks really unbalanced and um, I think that's starting to show they weren't, they just weren't good enough. And it's summed up actually by Nisbet only having one touch in the opposition box. They just didn't get the ball into him, didn't play into his strengths. And yeah, it, the, the team looks unfinished, which is a not where you want to be at this part, at this stage in the transfer window. Yeah, I mean, if anyone was wondering whether this may be the season where Mill will finally break into the <laughs> top six, I think they may have to keep waiting based on what we've seen so far. Zim Fleming's had a fairly quiet f first few games. Kevin Nisbet, the new strikers, not had a good start, missed some good chances so far. Just feels like more of the same with Millwall. And I don't mean losing, I mean, it all feels like something's still missing there. And mm -hmm. with regards to Rarit out, which always seems to happen whenever Millwall like lose two games in a row, the Millwall fans start, you know, calling for his head. I'm not sure I'd be on that side of the fence personally, but it goes back to what I've been saying for a long time now, that Rarit just does a good job. And Millwall are at the stage now where they should be taking that step further. But I mean, it's three games. We shouldn't get too carried away. But I'd, I'd be amazed if it happened this season. Well, you know, I, I do agree with you. And it's it's frustrating to to sort of admit that because yeah, I've wanted it so long for Gary Rowett and Millwall to get into that top six. But it's hard to see them drumming in. Got to bear in mind they had a slow start last season, a really poor slow start last season. So they might keep kick up a gear. But it felt the squad was more balanced 
last year than it was than it is this year. So unless they make some serious moves in the in the transfer window to rebalance their side, just can't see them maybe even making top 10 based on the small sample size we've had so far. So yeah, big claim, but I'm sure many Millwall fans might agree with that at the moment. Yeah, it's a very competitive division, isn't it? Yeah. And teams, unfortunately, like Millwall, will probably have to move down because it is so competitive. Um, and that's why I'd just be very surprised if they actually did get into the top six this season unless something amazing happens in the last few weeks of the transfer window. A 93rd minute winner from Che Adams saw Southampton beat Plymouth 2-1. First of all, we've got to give a word to the state of that pitch. Justin, you text me when yeah. the game was on. And uh, I was like, is it that bad? And then suddenly I was like, oh God, yeah, it is. It's blown up chunks. And for some reason, the commentators were blaming Roger Stewart. It's like, why? Really? Yeah, oh, because he, he had a concert he, there, didn't he? Yeah, he? he had a gig there in the summer. It's like, come on, lads, this, this isn't fair. He just bringing Rod Stewart into it. It's got nothing to do with Rod Stewart's the groundsman. He's Rod Stewart's not sat at the side going, I know what this is gonna do later on in the season. Unless well, he's Justin, got how how do you know that? You don't know that for sure. Maybe Rod I, Stewart has been nipping down to Plymouth during the week <laughs> and just secretly churning the pitch up. You're burying sand underneath it because there's a ton of sand like there's layers of it I don't understand I'm not again I'm not a, a groundsman I've no idea how these pitches are structured but it just doesn't feel like grass can grow on top of sand like what's going on I know it's the south coast and, and Devonshire but yeah we're just getting cut Devonshire. up and Devonshire Devonshire oh my god <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, dear. my county geography is terrible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but oh, you, you mentioned the pitch. There was one point, I think, where Stuart Armstrong had a free kick in the first half. And before he took it, he spent a good 20 seconds, like, taking mud off his boots and having to just, like, like really scrape it off because it was really, it was really coming up. And, yeah, it was, it was certainly... A bit strange. <laughs> uh, Ryan on Twitter said Plymouth deserved a point, and I think I'd agree with that. I think we've got to give cre- uh, credit to Plymouth here because I thought they were great and maybe deserved a point. Maybe even could have won this. Yeah, they were really brave in their approach play, and I think the way they've tactically set up this season, I was expecting a, a three at the back, um, but obviously Schumacher's changed it to a four at the back, and they've got an extra man in midfield, which I think is quite smart because they're not they're not still, they're not going to relinquish space not going to drop deeper they're, they're going to maintain that that uh, that high line and essentially put an extra man in midfield and, and give them extra protection and, and it's seemingly working especially as I say in their approach play they, they were getting Ballymumber into some good one-on-one situations and getting the ball in good areas and Morgan Whitaker looked really bright on the ball they were just full of endeavour and I think that's what you need when you're coming up you need to be a brave brave team coming from League One and a lot of young players as well just lacking that um, killer touch at the moment. I think there was a moment actually in the first half and Morgan Witter was running through. Could have just played a reverse pass to to Hardy, but held on for it for a touch too long and then misplaced his pass to Mumburn. It's just moments like that probably was a big difference in the in the quality between the two teams, which is to be expected considering the amount of resource that separates them. Yeah, well, there's certainly a huge gap in that regard, isn't it? And I think you've got to take that into account when you look at this game in perspective and say Plymouth could have easily won this and that just goes to show how good this Plymouth side are. Mm. They're more than competitive this season, aren't they? And I think Home Park is going to be such a tough hunting ground for teams this season. I imagine a lot of people thought Southampton would walk this one and just wasn't the case at all, was it? Have got to remember, Plymouth only drops points at home on three occasions last season. Teams are going to struggle there, like Southampton did. I don't know if it's the conditions with the pitch or Rod Stewart, you know, you know, churning it all up, or maybe the wind as well. Because we spoke about the wind on the first weekend of the season, didn't they? It seems to be. Why are you laughing? 
It just seems like this, this, all these outside factors other than Plymouth being actually a decent team. It's just, it's well, the weather. Uh, yeah. It's Rod Stewart Justin, and it's Justin, sand. Justin, I have been <laughs> one of Plymouth's biggest cheerleaders so far because I've been amazed at how good their recruitment has been so far. And I think, you know, people have been talking a lot about Ipswich and how good they are. But I think people, uh, people have somewhat forgotten Plymouth mm-hmm. um, because they are just such a well-run club manager's class um, and I'll continue to wave my pom-poms as I cheerlead them for the rest of the season <laughs> but yeah as I was saying the pitch may play a fact maybe a factor the winds may be a factor as well I don't know or maybe it's just the fans and the atmosphere that they create there but it's going to be a place where teams struggle the thing is as well I don't think Stephen Schumacher has been able to play the formation he wants to yet because he did play with the back three pretty much throughout last season didn't he but haven't been able to do it so far, I imagine because of injuries, I'm guessing. So I think there's more to come from them. If I was a Plymouth fan, I'd be very chuffed with how my team started. How are you feeling about Southampton's start so far, Justin? So I'm a bit different. I don't sit as positively as I do um, with Southampton. I think the main thing is the quality, again, like like Leicester, is, is coming through. They're creating chances and they're scoring late, which tells you there's you know, a lot of room uh, for improvement Um and they they yet they yet to really control the game. Although they do do like possession quite a bit, they, they don't grab the uh, grab the game by the scruff of the neck, is the cliche. You know, mind teams they just seem a bit too nice with the ball. They're just too polite. They're trying to perform ballet, ballet, whereas other teams are in a mosh pit. Be more mosh pit, Russell Martin. Be more mosh pit. <laughs> hey, I'm always up for being a bit more mosh pit. Um... Yeah, I don't think they were great against Plymouth and easily could have lost that game, as we were saying. The Norwich game was a defensive nightmare. And then they had to be patient against Wednesday, didn't they? So I would say so far it's been good. Not amazing, not bad, just good. We predicted there would be a slow start and I think that's just been the case. They're getting results though, so that's very good. It's quite similar to Leicester, I suppose, where they haven't really stood out so far, but they're still getting points. I imagine the closure of the transfer window will certainly help with things. So they know the hand that they've got because rumours around the future of Nathan Teller and Che Adams won't be helpful. Could do with bringing in a couple of players themselves, but that squad as it stands is still good enough for promotion in, I imagine, everyone's eyes. So yeah, a steady start, I'd say, for Russell Martin and Southampton. Do they need to be a bit more mosh pit? I can see where you're coming from. Uh, Russell Martin wearing a T-shirt and a hoodie, by the way. It looked like he was having a lazy day watching Netflix. He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, scruff bag. <laughs> on Friday night, Leeds and West Brom <laughs> drew one all. A fair bit of controversy in this one. West Brom's goal was scored by the forearm of Brandon Thomas Asante. To be fair to the referee, it wasn't very obvious. Only one or two Leeds players appealed. And even then, I think they may have been appealing for offside. And then Sky only seemed to pick up on it after a few replays. But still controversial. VAR is your answer. I would die on this hill. VAR being absolutely fine. I know it's going to be boring, but it's just the rules and the use of VAR. That's the problem. We saw it in the Women's World Cup final. The ref took an absolute age to decide whether the ball hit um, the defender's hand. It did hit the hand. It was very obvious. It just took an absolute age and that could be cleared up quite quickly. So I think you know, your situations like this, it does hit the, the hand of Brandon Thomas Sante, um, or the forearm, I should say, is cleared up by VAR. Um, don't hide from it don't run from it it's coming for all of us it's fine just, well, I mean, just people, get used to it people will point out just in the Onana situation with Man United from last week where he's basically done a cross body onto the Wolves but, player and but that, that's the referee isn't it that's the referee and the, 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 the VAR officials that are get, getting it wrong not VAR itself that's, that's all I'll say 
Yeah. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. <laughs> uh, Leeds arguably should have had a penalty shortly after as well, although I don't think that was personally. I thought this was going to be another disastrous day for Leeds in the end, but uh, they managed to save themselves, didn't they? Uh, did you have a look at Leeds and you know see the chaos that's going on behind the scenes? Sam Byron at right back. Feels like we've gone back ten years, doesn't it? <laughs> with the, with a, it's like the old days, isn't it? The Chilino years. Like, what's El Hadjouf and Rudolf Austin doing? Rudy <laughs> oh, Austin, what a player! Just waiting for Neil Warnock to turn up as well, aren't we? To come and save the day and then leave in a ball of fire because it's not gone well at all. Oh, um, bloody yeah. Warnock, Steve Evans. Um, who David else Hockaday. was there? Hockaday. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, I was looking at the Leeds team that started this game and. I'm not sure there's another side who simultaneously need the window to close, but also to stay open more than them. Because they need to have a busy couple of weeks, don't they, in terms of getting rid of players who don't want to be there, but also strengthening that squad. Right, it summed it up perfectly. It's it's such a weird juxtaposition to find yourself in. Mm. Not only do you need it to yeah get gone, but you also need it to stay around for a little bit longer. Um, yeah, they, obviously Wilfred Nonto and Luis Sinistieri need to know where they're going to be playing, whether they're going to stay at Leeds or whether they're going to go. And for me, they need at least four players: they need a striker, another attacking midfielder, add more energy to that midfield, and and probably a left back as well. That's what my assumption would be, or um, assessment, I should say. Uh, so yeah for me I think they're four players short probably being a top six team uh, not even a, a top two team so I think there's a lot of quality missing and we've seen it in these games that they, they start slow um, they go behind and then they and then they kick up a gear and they start to dominate that needs to change and I think maybe more experience might help with that well I'm not too sure personally because it's very difficult to say when we don't know what the team's going to be yeah. come the end of the transfer window. That's a real sticking point with Leeds. But uh, you look at the team, I mean, Sam Byram at left back, fair play, he's done all right so far, but he's not a long-term solution, is he? Of course, Junior Furpo's out injured, so I guess he'll come into the team at some point. But then, you know, Jamie Shackleton playing right wing isn't ideal, is it? So I, I'm not... I think they would need a striker because even when Patrick Bamford's back, I'm not completely convinced about the idea of him being what Leeds need. And I mean, wingers definitely because they've gone from having Jack Harrison, yeah. Willie Nonto, Sinistera to potentially having none of them. Um, so that needs to be addressed as well. But I mean, personally, I want to see the young players get more of a go. Charlie Cresswell, Cody Drame, give them a run out and let this be the start of a new era at Leeds. But I'm not sure that's going to happen. So yeah, they definitely need to be active in the transfer window, don't they? Before a, before it closes, not just in terms of keeping players, but getting people in through the door as well. We haven't really spoken about West Brom yet this season, Justin. It's just just a bit so-so there, isn't it? Yeah, again, there's a lot of... Um, I don't know where I'm, where I'm trying to pinpoint and there's a lot of humming and hawing I think with West Brom because of the ownership situation and mm. we're not really sure again like Leeds we're not really sure where the squad's going to finish or end up at the end of the transfer window but you know, I'd say the start has been okay it's been a little bit bumpy they're yet to create a higher XG than their opponent uh, this season in the three games they've played so far so there's certainly a lot of a lot of scope there for, for Corbrand to improve the team but I think they'll have been pleased with how they put up against Leeds because they obviously they've gone ahead they've conceded a lot of time in possession and they've come away from Adam Rowe with a point which a lot of teams will be quite happy with but you've got to think if they're going to improve on that 15th place that we predicted them to finish in they've got to be creating more chances through games and it's just they, yeah they haven't done that yet obviously yeah well I'm not really sure what West Brom's expectations are 
yeah. Justin. I don't know it's what weird. you think. I, I imagine they'll be looking to to get into that top half, maybe with an eye on the playoffs, mainly because they've still got a fair bit of quality there. But we've seen defensively that, for me, I, I think they need some serious improvement. Cedric Kibre could be a really is, good championship. Is the playoffs defender, realistic good. though, Justin? Because, I mean, no. with the financial situation and the ownership situation, I mean, they've only signed two players this summer. I know there's some big names at West Brom, but I just don't see that really being a possibility. I don't think it is, but I'm speaking from a, a Carlos Corbran perspective where he signed a new deal last summer. Maybe if Leeds had come in for him, he could have left this summer, but he stayed at West Brom and he's he's going to want to be ambitious and he's achieved a lot more with a lot less at Huddersfield Town, for example. So I'm, I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, I think he's, he wants the top six, but as I say, performance has got to improve drastically because they're conceding too many chances in games um, and they're yet to create a lot more for themselves as well. So maybe Josh Madger comes in, improves things. Um, Grady Dean Garner comes back to full fitness. That improves things. I don't know. Again, just a lot of question marks, which is probably why we haven't covered West Brom um, massively over the last three, yeah, well, two weeks. Well, they've just been so-so, haven't they? I just find it a bit difficult to get excited about West Brom. There isn't much there that particularly inspires me. Perhaps that's because in my mind... They should be challenging for the top six, but I just can't see that mm. happening personally. As we say, two signings this summer. Sarmiento looks an exciting player, but the two players they brought in aren't game changers, are they? I know the financial side of it is the reason for that, but still. So it looks like they're just heading towards another mid-table kind of season. I'm not sure if that's a good season or not for West Brom. And that brings me on to the question, what is the expectation here? I just do not know. So it feels as if they're just kind of coasting along until they get a new owner. And I'm not sure how long we're going to have to wait yeah. for that to actually happen because in the meantime, they haven't got any money and the club's future in the long term is still a bit up in the air because of, you know, loans and what have you. Uh, Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Sunderland and Ipswich, both winning. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the second tier podcast. Sunderland came from a goal down to beat Rotherham 2-1 to get off the mark. Joby Bellingham getting both of them. He's the youngest player to score a brace in the championship since Ryan Sessegnon in 2018. The amount of talent in the Bellingham household is absolutely insane, isn't it? It's unfair, I think. It's incredibly unfair because 
I'm 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 born. My, my dad was a welder, for example. My mum was a hairdresser, and I've been I've not been blessed with any of those skills. You know, Joe Bellingham, Jude Bellingham's dad. I, I don't know if he was a footballer, but he's he got was. some. Oh, but not he, to he, a, he, he was he was semi-pro, so he's yeah, not yeah. the highest of standards, but still, he's yeah. he, if if the other if his kids are anything to go by, then I'm, I'm guessing he must have been quite a player. Well, exactly. We, we've got to check in on his genes and just see what's cracking there because there's a makeup of some perfect footballers coming out obviously Jude Bellingham Joe Bellingham are incredible they're tall they're tall players with the grace and poise of players half their height it's incredible obviously we're seeing Joe Bellingham now I mean Jude Bellingham's only 2021 20, isn't he and Joe Bellingham's just coming through at 17 so yeah there's a significant yeah there's a lot of room for growth for both of them and you know for the family to produce two quality teenagers like that yeah it's just mm. ridiculous unfair yeah really is it is unfair actually yeah. unfortunately for him he is going to get com- compared to his brother isn't he it's just going to happen but he shouldn't be really because in isolation a 17 year old as talented as him is really special and it's just annoying that by his age his brother was playing regularly for Borussia Dortmund so look it, it's exciting to see him playing for Sunderland and starting games as well because he wasn't really doing that at Birmingham was he? he was coming off the bench and that's not a dig at Birmingham by any means it's just now he's actually getting a chance, which I wasn't necessarily expecting. So they took a gamble by splashing the cash on him in the summer, put a lot of faith in him though, and he's already paying it back with these two goals and has looked very sharp so far. He's just fearless with the ball, works his socks off, and he's in a great place at Sunderland in T because they're excellent at developing young players and he's going to get given more chances as the season goes on, I'm sure. Interestingly, Footy Insider is reporting Tony Mowbray is fighting to save his job despite this win. One to keep an eye on, as we say. I've had my theory that Tony Mowbray may not be longing for the Sunderland job after all the murmurs at the end of last season, and I still have a feeling that may be the case. Ipswich Town remain top of the championship after beating QPR 1-0. I have been singing Ipswich's praise so far this season, but I will admit they were a bit fortunate here. But still, 100% start. And last time a newly promoted side won their first three games was in 2011. Southampton did it and went on to win promotion. The last time a team won back-to-back automatic promotions. Justin, the Ipswich are going up tractor. The door is still very much open if you want to get on board. I'm all right, thank you. Um, (laughs) It's very polite. Uh, I'm happy to buy a more expensive ticket closer to the end of the season and jump on the bandwagon should it happen. I think the Championship's full of bumps and terrors that no one can foresee and I think Ipswich is still... I'm not getting used to Lee, but we saw it. saw in this game against QPR that it was an uncomfortable affair for them, despite them you know, creating some decent chances. I thought QPR were unlucky not to come away with anything. So I think there's. Uh, I'm not jumping on any tractor yet. Is, is what is what I'm saying. I think there's plenty of room there for, not not for things to drop off, but I'm just. I don't want to get carried away like you are. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm happily getting carried away, and I'm not <laughs> regretting it at all, Justin. Um, as impressed as I have been with Ipswich and as strong as I am feeling about them being very good this season, they could do with a couple of signings. A defender, another attacker, definitely on the shopping list for me. Just to flesh out the squad a bit more, I do think Kieran McKenna has been somewhat frustrated with the transfer business this summer. I don't think he's by any means upset with the board or anything like that. I think it's more a case of they've had some targets who they have missed out on and I mean, they have been linked with uh, Jesserun Rak Saki from Palace, who had an excellent season at Charlton last season. Mm-hmm. And if they were to miss out on him, I think he would be certainly even more annoyed. So I'm very interested to see what they do in the window over the next couple of weeks. Do you think that's fair, a defender and another attacker? 
Well, I mean, they, they've done right defensively so far, so maybe, maybe not. I think another attack would certainly be a massive benefit. I, I'm still not convinced by the, the, the personnel they've got in the final third. So if you had someone like um, Rexaki, for example, I think you know, he's, he's a player that's got a lot of unpredictability and a lot of technical qualities as well. And he's a showed that Charlton that he was a goal scorer. So there's there's certainly potential there for, for Ipswich to improve in that final third. George Hurst, is he... Is he Championship quality, which we still don't know. Connor Chaplin again, still don't know. So, yeah, certainly more quality needed in that uh, final third, I think. I think Connor Chaplin's proved that he's championship quality, isn't he? Well, I think his only season in the championship, he scored 12 goals for Barnsley, didn't he? Um, which was a decent return. It's, de- it's yeah. a decent return, but then he, it, I can't remember where he went after that, where it was straight to Ipswich or uh, Portsmouth, can't quite remember. But uh, yeah, I just want to see a few more games from from him to see if he can really step up because I still don't think he's been he's not been fantastic this season. He's not not hit the heights he did last season, which is a fairly lofty. We're fucking three lofty games night. into the season, Justin. <laughs> yeah, but you're already getting carried away with Ipswich, aren't you? I'm not getting yeah. carried away with Connor Chaplin. I just don't know why you've suddenly started digging at Connor Chaplin. I've got to dig at something with Ipswich. Everyone's everyone thinks you love him too much, so I've got to I've got to play a balance here. <laughs> Just going to bring me down a peg. <laughs> Completely understandable. At Sheffield Wednesday are the only side still yet to win a point. They lost 1-0 to Preston. Not going well, is it? Uh, well, who, who who thought this would happen, eh? <laughs> Not us. <laughs> uh, I, to, I watched a fair bit of the game back. I wanted to see if we were wrong on Isco, but Isco, I, I just don't think we are. There's groups of supporters who are staunch defenders on him, and that's absolutely fine. I'm just not seeing it. There were no redeemable qualities in this team against Preston and the way they set up. Preston didn't have to do a lot to win this game. Um, and that's not a criticism of Preston. I thought they played a perfect away game. But they offered barely anything going forward. Again, through a game in a row, um, they have quality and they cause a nuisance from long throws and set pieces, but that's just about it. Defensively, they're a bit of a disorganised mess. Uh, not to, Maybe that's unfair, actually. Um, they're an organised mess. I think I would say, because they play far too deep. So I just don't think they can spring anything going forward or counter-attack. And there's not enough pace in the team. There's just so many issues with this squad um, that it's probably unfair to lay all the blame at Cisco, but still not convinced by what he's putting out there. It's simple as that. Well, hard to disagree. Bottom of the division for expected goals four, which I think may say a lot about our previous concerns with Isco Munoz. Because it's hard to play past the ball to Ishmael Assar when Sheffield Wednesday don't have Ishmael Assar. In his defence, the squad is not looking great, is it? Strangely, he's been saying that it is good enough to stay up, which I get why he's saying that, because he wants to give them a bit, a bit of confidence. But it is also kind of insinuating that he's the problem. <laughs> Whatever the case, <laughs> I just don't think this squad is strong enough. We were saying about their recruitment. It's been a bit scattergunny, hasn't it? A lot of players have come in who... You've either never heard of or are players like Ashley Fletcher or Bambo Diaby who wouldn't be getting in the squads of 95% of championship sides. And I do find it a bit strange that their best player last season in Josh Windass didn't start against Mm. Preston. So it's just all a bit weird, really. I think ultimately I'm feeling even less optimistic about them staying up now than I was at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. The expectations weren't too high to begin with, but from what I've seen so far, it's just bad. It's, 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 it's just bad, isn't it? And 
what uh, Munoz is putting out there with the, with the players that he's got is just it's not it's not good enough either. The, the atmosphere was so flat in this game. I know there wasn't a lot to shout about, but Hillsborough should be a tough place to go. But it just didn't feel like it. It felt Preston could come and pretty much do whatever they wanted. It was a lovely delivery in from um, Kian Best, and uh, the header was great. But there was no spark after that either. It was just a flat, flat game, and it's been it's it's, it's going to remain flat as well under under Munoz because I just don't think he can implement a style of play that gets his team going, gets the players going, gets the, gets the stadium going either. Because well, we just haven't seen it so far. It's been so so poor. It really, really has. Great start to the season by Preston, by the way. Seven points yeah. from the first three games. Keon Bestie, you mentioned there, only 17. He looks a mm. serious player. We'll have to have a chat about him at some point, Justin. And Aaron Connolly double saw Hull beat Blackburn 2-1. Sometimes a player goes to a club and everything just clicks for him, doesn't it? And it seems like that is very much the case with Aaron Connolly and Hull City. Three goals in two games, scored two goals in five games last season before getting injured. His three goals this season is his joint biggest goal tally in his league career. <laughs> and for me, Justin, I'm kind of enjoying the redemption arc of Aaron Connolly. I, I really want him to do well, uh, mainly because, he's, as you say, he's, he's, just, he's not settled anywhere at all. And there's been so much promise and hype around him um, up until the last couple of years. So he's just he's not really worked out. But Hull fans were, I wouldn't say they were desperate to get him, but get him in, but they were they were keen to, to get him in. And as you saw his two goals against Blackburn, so well taken. His runs were, his runs were probably better than his finishes, mainly because you look at that Seri pass for the first one was just outstanding. And I can't remember who played the second ball. It was described as Route One, which is a disgrace, by the way, because there's a difference between Route One and a measured pass. But he but he but he laps onto it. Um, they were fantastic runs, good touches, and, and decent finishes as well. So long may that continue. He's got more than Delap now, hasn't he? Which is, which is interesting. Mm. It is interesting. He's only been, he hasn't even started a game yet. He's come off the mm. bench in a, both games so far that he's played four holes. So, I mean, let's be honest, he has flattered to deceive quite a bit in his career so far, aren't he? And as we were alluding to, three goals being his highest league goal tally is just bad, whichever way you look at it for someone who's played as many games as he has. But, you know, there is obviously a player there because he's played several games for Brighton in the Premier League and it's just been a case of getting it out of him, which a lot of managers have struggled with. And, you know, injuries haven't helped, but he's had a pretty rotten time in uh, the last couple of seasons. So when someone like Hull come along and show him some appreciation, have some patience with him as well, it goes a long way. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing right now. Bristol City nil, Birmingham 2. Birmingham were excellent here. And... So far, very much living up to the hype surrounding them at the beginning of the season, aren't they? They, they were great. They looked up for it. I saw some of their, there was some sequences someone uploaded to, to Twitter and them just winning the ball back aggressively. And it's exactly what you want this Birmingham team to be about. Aggressive, aggressive pressing, aggressive turning possession over, getting the ball into, into good, area, good areas. And yeah, they did that in plenty, um, a plenty against Bristol City. Um, maybe should have been maybe 2-0 flat at Bristol City um, but it was a, certainly a good performance and one that does lift you with a fair bit of confidence and I don't think they're done in a transfer window yet either because obviously they missed out on, on Sorry Cabba so there's room for another forward to come in so yeah I'm really really excited to see what John Oosters cooks up over the next few weeks because I, I try not to get carried away but they, they have been impressive yeah they certainly have they're a class at the back here I'm really enjoying the fullback pairing of Ethan Laird and Lee Buchanan Lee Buchanan mm. in particular looks such a good player compared to how he was when he was playing for Derby a few seasons ago. The double pivot of Christian Bielik and even Sunjic working excellently mm. and they're creating plenty of chances as well. 
you've got to give a lot of credit to John Eustace because it's all well and good being given the tools, but it don't mean anything if you're giving them to someone who doesn't know how to use them. And so far, he's proving to be the right man to lead this sort of evolution that's happening at uh, St. Andrews. So it's very exciting. I agree with you. They could do with a few signings before the window closes because they have missed out on Sorry Cabot, which is a real shame because he would have been a great signing. So a striker is definitely top of that shopping list. Possibly a couple of defenders would help as well. So you can't help but feel optimistic about Birmingham. No, absolutely. I'm uh, really looking forward to it. I was going to say, I always mention even Sunjic and Christian Bielik because they both signed, obviously Sunjic signed for Birmingham, Bielik signed for Derby in the same transfer window for, for big money. Young players at the time, a lot of, lot of prospect and promise. So I think it's almost beautiful that they're now playing together in the same team and, and doing a really good job of, of, of being a protective double pivot in front of that back line. I think, um, yeah, that, that could be a really good midfield pairing as the season progresses because I think they complement each other brilliantly and I think that's where Birmingham are going to really thrive is, is they're going to build solid build solidly from the back and um, yeah allow those attacking players to, to, to thrive and express themselves yeah and Sunjic as well we kind of forgot about him didn't we because yeah, he's, yeah, he's been on loan for the past couple of seasons and now he's coming to the team he's been excellent since coming in he's been playing his best football in a Birmingham shirt because when he initially came he was good but not as good as he has been recently so yeah he's been Quite interesting seeing him starting every game for Birmingham and playing really, really well. And Andre Vidigal goal saw Stoke beat Watford 1-0. Or should I say Andre Vidigal? He's had a good start, hasn't he? I had the name written down and I was was looking forward to saying it and you beat me to it, but he has had a brilliant start. And the way he took his goal as well was... That was brilliant. It was awesome. Um, Just his touch inside and then the swivel and the power and direction he got on that shot was brilliant. Yeah, he's, he's looking to be a, a real player. I was I was quite sceptical of Stokes' transfer business because when you recruit quite heavily from abroad, it takes those players a long time to, I think, embed into in, into the championship. But Vidi, and they call him Vidigol. May as well call him Vidigol because he's not going to stop, is he? Yeah, Vidigol, <laughs> um, he settled nicely and he's been, a, he's been a real danger and a threat in, in Stokes' games. And when you've got a player like that, it certainly does help. Yeah, Alex Neal said at half-time, Vidigol said to him, don't worry, I'm going to score. And then he did it eight minutes later. So he's a man of his word. Um, and I'm the same as you. I didn't know too much about him before he came in, but he certainly caught the eye, hasn't he? And he just seems to be in the right place at the right time, which is interesting because he's a winger traditionally, isn't he? Mm-hmm. So to have that kind of poacher instinct that he's got is uh, surprising. But yeah, long may it continue. Swansea and Coventry drew one all. Connor on Twitter said it was disappointing, but all right for Coventry. Paul says Swansea were dull and boring. That's the spirit. And finally, Middlesbrough and Huddersfield both got their first points of the season after drawing one all in the Neil Warnock derby. Well, quite a few Neil Warnock derbies, isn't there? Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And an American businessman has indicated he wants to take over Sheffield Wednesday, Adam Shaw said in a statement via the BBC. He and his partners have a strong desire to make a full acquisition of the club. However, he said he's not putting in an offer because the current owner, Dapon Chansiri, does not want to enter negotiations. All sounds very hopeful. And then you get to the end bit of the statement. (laughs) Dare I say it, it's Carlton Palmer's fault, maybe? Yeah, I think it definitely is. <laughs> I, th- I think this is just indicative of what Chancery is about with Sheffield Wednesday. It's frustrating because I don't think he's fully utilised the potential of that football club. 
I mean, we saw it. I've mentioned the Peterborough game already in this episode, but that these are moments and, and, and occasions the club needs to build on. They just haven't under Chancery, and I don't think they'll ever reach the potential under him. So it doesn't make sense for him to continue losing money and pissing off supporters for for, for what reason? It just doesn't it, it doesn't make sense. I know he's got a lot of money in the club, and you, you don't want to lose money, but you're losing money, you're losing your reputation, and unfortunately, you might be a League One club in seven months' time once again as well. So it makes sense to at least open up the the negotiations and let's see what they're about maybe i don't know i'm not a businessman but i would yeah it, it is it is a big a big shame isn't it because i fully accept chancery has put a lot of money into wednesday and has you know been there for quite some time now but he is a clown and has ultimately been the reason why Wednesday are currently bottom of the table with no points and one of the favourites to get relegated this season. All the hard work from last season looks like it could be completely unravelled because of Dapon Chancery. And, you know, the fiasco with Darren Moore not having a head of recruitment for most of the summer and, you know, look at the squads. It's all the fingers just come back to him, don't they? So when you hear of, you know, genuine, credible interest in Sheffield Wednesday... And it's just not even being entertained, the idea of a takeover. That's mm. pretty sad because Sheffield Wednesday need a takeover. And I just can't see them progressing as a football club while Chancery is at the helm. It's also worth pointing out that Birmingham City were a basket case of a football club. Almost unsellable considering the the debt that they had and the, the grounds and disrepair and the squad that was available to John Eustace. It was in a bad state and they've had a takeover and all, all of a sudden things are... Are incredible, um, uh, and things are looking up. Whereas with Sheffield Wednesday, things are looking down. Even Cardiff have gone semi, semi normal this summer, where they've just been a, a bit more proactive than they have been in previous it's years. So, away. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been um, what, what's that word I'm looking for? We've not had um, as much drama over the summer with Cardiff, and it's just you know until until owners sort of step away and lose the ego. They don't hit their potential, and it's that's the classic case of Chanteria and Sheffield Wednesday. It really is. Hull have signed Burnley midfielder Scott Twine on a season-long loan. The 24-year-old only managed 14 appearances for the Clarets last season after struggling with injury. But I think this is a phenomenal signing. Justin, what do you think? Bit naughty, isn't it? Naughty it with is. a NAW. Filthy. It's naughty. Oh, yeah. It's, it is, um, it's one of those signings where... Yeah, it can be a real difference maker in a team becoming a, a mid-tabler, top half into a top six side because you've got this player who's got a tremendous amount of creative potential. He's been untapped because of his injury problems last season for Burnley, but we saw the impact they had in certain games, that winner of a free kick, I can't remember who it was against, but the free kick on the edge of the box um, that he scored, it was just ridiculous. And he's got this this innate quality to, to do that in, in big moments and big games. Um so I'm hoping that he stays injury-free because I, I want to see how Scott Twine progresses this season. And under Liam Rossini, I think he can be a real asset. He definitely could. I mean, this time last year, he was one of the most sought-after players in the whole of the EFL, wasn't he? He was a really exciting signing for Burnley. Never mind Hall, who, you know, mid-table. So getting him on loan could be an unbelievable bit of business. And yes, injuries have really hampered him over the last 12 months. Still scored three goals, though, including a beautiful free kick, which you were just talking about just in the game, against West Brom, it was. West Brom. He's just got bags of talent. Him, uh, Liam Delap, 
you know, as a front three with someone else I, I, <laughs> on the on the other. Doesn't, on doesn't the other need to be side. anybody else. Doesn't need to be anyone else. But you know, that is a lot of potential there, yeah. isn't there, for a lot of fun. So, you know, Aaron Connolly as well, who we were just talking about earlier. So, you know. This could go one or two ways where we finally see what Scott Twine is all about at championship level or injuries could continue to hamper him. So we shouldn't get too carried away. But in terms of the potential of this signing, it could end up being signing of the season because of how good we know he can be. Yeah. It's just about making him that player again. And it's going to be tough because it's a long time since we saw that player. But in terms of technical ability... He had it in bags when he joined Burnley. So hopefully we see that player once again. Willie Nonto has put in a transfer request at Leeds as he looks to force away a move from Ellen Road. Ah, what a problem. What a dilemma, Justin. What do you think Leeds should do at this point? I think they've got to recognise that he's still a teenager. He's still young. He's going to make some daft decisions. And I think he's he's being led by his agents. That's what my assumption would be. So I think it would just be understand that perspective allow the transfer window to close because I don't think he's going to be sold. And as we're seeing with Everton, they're not very good side in the Premier League. So again, if he wants to go to Everton, if he's that desperate to go to Everton, said it before, he'll be in the same same boat uh, next season as he is, as he is now. Um, so for me, I think Willie Nonto is better to stay at Leeds. Uh, um, and I just hope that they recognise that he's, he's a teenager. We all make stupid decisions when we're teenagers. I bought a Toyota Yaris that had checkered, checkered stickers all over it. That was a stupid decision. I regretted it. And, now look at me, I'm I'm, I'm thriving, sort of. <laughs> that that Yaris was crap as well. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, Nonto, it's um, it's so frustrating, isn't it? Because it is purely, it's got to be his agent who's whispering in his ear, and that's really really frustrating. Because I'm not being funny, right? Leeds are a huge club, easily top ten in the country for, you know, club size in terms of the fan base. And Nonto, Sinistera, and I'm guessing plenty of others, just don't seem to appreciate that. He could be a Leeds legend if he stuck around, got them promoted again. You know, he could have the world at his feet, but no, he's seemingly just ignoring that completely. And you know what? I disagree with you, Justin. I completely wow. agree with the chant. Don't want to play? Fuck off home, is what Leeds wow. fans have been chanting recently. And I agree. I, I fully accept that he's young and, you know, we all make mistakes and what have you. But if he doesn't want to play, then get rid. Let him go. Because there are plenty of talented players who would rip off your hand to play for a club the size of Leeds United. And if he doesn't want to do that, then he's being... A baby, isn't he, at the end of the day? Hence that uh, that banner that we saw yeah. at, the, uh, at the game Petty. on Friday night. You're the type of guy who would drop him into reserves and find him for two-week two wages continuously, especially on FM. Drop oh, him yeah. in reserves. If this was FM right now, then I would be sticking him right in the under-23s and just let him rot. Um, <laughs> did you know, by the way, and I completely forgot about this, you've just brought it up, so I'm just going to mention it. Um, on FM, in like the mid-2000s, you could just find players for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, so I was a a, a right um, a right bastard with this. My brother would leave his laptop open, and I would just completely derail his saves and fine every player two week wages for no reason. Just upset the harmony of the squad, and ultimately he'd have to go back to a load uh, another load date. So yeah, it was a, a deep deep memory bank that was, and one that I enjoyed thoroughly. Yeah, 
FM back in the day was savage. Uh, Cardiff have signed Greek international midfielder Manolis Siopis. He's a reagent after leaving Turkish side Shrubs on Sport. Um, You'd be brave if you bet on him to be first goal scorer in a Cardiff game, put it that way. He's 29, has only scored one goal in his entire club career. Um, I don't know much about this guy, Justin. He's played nearly every game for Traps on Sport last season and Cardiff need midfielders, so it makes sense. I was more fascinated with some of his teammates from last season. Marek Hamzik, Trezeguet, the ex-Villa forward, Lazar Markovic, Mark Bartra and, uh, of course, former Cardiff striker Andreas Cornelius. Great stuff. <laughs> Certainly got a lot of pedigree, hasn't he? Um, I, I know quite a few qualifiers quite excited by the by the move, um, and hopefully Cornelius did a did a good job in selling the club to him. I'm not sure <laughs> about that, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's got, he's got pedigree. Don't know much about him, but you know, say Cardiff need infielders. He's, he's very experienced and plays some good teams as well, so that's that's going to help matters. But yeah, that, that's uh, going from Mark Bartra to I don't know Mark McGuinness is a is a, an interesting comparison shall we say. I know who I'd rather have. Um, and your friend, Justin, Troy Deeney, has been named as a new player coach at Forest Green. You're a huge fan of Deeney, aren't you? Yeah, he probably turned down the job at uh, Man City, didn't he, to, to take that take that uh, role at Forest Green on, didn't he? I, I'm having a dig there. He, he, talks, he talks a big game, is what I'm saying. Like, he, the, there's clips a while ago about him talking a big game, going to Leicester, turning him down, blah, blah, blah. He probably turned down a big job at Man City for getting this job at Forest Green. I'm just, I, I'm not a big fan of him, is what I'm saying. No, no. Right, well, I got that sense quite a while ago when you went on a whole tangent about him. Um, let's do the polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter. I kind of completely forgot them. We've only been doing this for five years now. <laughs> three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts and everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. What should Leeds do with Willie Nonto? Sell or keep? You said keep. Um, I said sell. 84% of people agree with me. They think he should be sold. 16% said keep. What do you think of the extra long added time? Like it? Don't like it? I don't think I like it. Um, it's just too long for me to be at the game. Especially like you get you get to a Tuesday night and it's minus three in January and you've got to spend an extra mm. twenty minutes. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I don't eat pies at football, so that's gonna that's not gonna warm the warm the soul. So yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure pies are that good at warming you up, Justin. But there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm kind of the same as you. I, I'm, I'm guessing it's a, a bit worse for you because obviously sporting derby is not a great, you know, yeah. it's not great having to force yourself to stick around for 10 minutes extra after the game. Um, but 69% of people said they like it. 31% said they don't. And finally, which of these superhero powers would you have? Ability to fly, can't die, invisibility or super strength? Uh, the ability to fly... Just be able to go on holiday anywhere you want. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Um, that would be actually. That's a yeah, very good point. Um, invisibility would be quite interesting. Get to you know wander into changing rooms at a you know football Wait, ground. Where you going with and, this? Uh, yeah, I know it sounds a bit weird when I say it like that. <laughs> I, I'm talking more about wanting to see what's behind the scenes and just being like a fly on the yes. wall when yeah. uh, when a team's just been battered or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> Not sure. anything right. else. Yeah, raging pervert. <laughs> I do want to say that, but I'm quite you took a hold now. A hold. Um, 43% of people agree with me. Invisibility would be the best one. Uh, 29% said ability to fly. 20% said can't die. 8% said super strength. I thought super strength would get a bit more than that, to be honest. Um, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge.
yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So I'm going to ask Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and he would say Villa, that's one down, and then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin would then say Weymouth, he would lose a life. So all he needs to do is give me all eight answers without all losing all of his lives. We do Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight amidst the controversy of last week where Justin gave me a frankly ridiculous question. Are you apologising, Justin? No, I had someone online, uh, someone on Twitter, defend my 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 game, uh, my game, my selections, and would the point of this game with you. is you've got to get all eight, and no, I, no, it was no. impossible to get all eight last week. It wasn't impossible. It was hard. It, it wasn't was. impossible. But you Simon Walton, Andre Dazelle, yeah. Dan Gosling. What's your point? These are these are Dan Gosling's had a great career. Dazelle's still going in. Simon Walton. How was I um, meant to guess them? It's not my problem. That's your problem, and you failed. No. You would have. You do you think you would have got that? I think I would have got seven. Well, that's the thing. You're meant to get all eight. It's meant to be the point of the game is to get all eight, and it was impossible to get all eight. It was impossible in your eyes, Ryan. In, in other eyes, it wasn't. Simon Just, Walton. I don't. I don't understand your point here. A lot of people. I haven't even got heard Simon of Simon Walton. Walton. How was I supposed to guess him? That's again. That's a you problem. That's not a me problem. That's a you problem. That's, your, that's a no, gap in your knowledge a that you need to fill. You need to fill that knowledge. You're championship expert, quote unquote. I need to know more about Simon Walton, do I? Absolutely. It might come up again. So your question this week, Justin, is can you name for me the eight clubs Simon Walton has made the most appearances for in the football <laughs> league? <laughs> so petty. <laughs> You've got three lives. Go. Stevenage. 29 appearances. That's sixth. Bradford. Bradford are not on there. You've lost a life. <laughs> How many lives are you giving me? Three. Uh, Leeds. Yep, Leeds are on there. 34 appearances. That's fourth. Barnet. Barnet are not on there. <laughs> wow, the pettiness of this. Uh, this is incredible. Uh, I'm enjoying it though. Um, Simon Walton. Who did you play for, Simon Walton? Um, exactly. And that's my point. <laughs> listen, if this is where you want to go... Two weeks into the season, this is where we go. Just make your Simon Grayson's hateful eight next week. Just make it realistic. Is all I ask. This this is realistic. If Can I, I get another answer about, from you, please. Uh, I uh, mentioned Leeds. I've mentioned Stevenage. I will go with Preston. Preston and not on there. Okay, um, I'll throw. You've, one lost more. All, you've lost all your lives now. So yeah, well, I'm just going to throw. Well, that one goes more. to show how much you know about Simon Walton. If anything, um, that sounds like a you problem. Yeah, it is a me problem, and it's a gap in my knowledge that I'm going to work hard this week to fill because I know if anyone asks me this in my in my lifetime now, I'm not going to be able to give them the answer they need. Do you want another one? Because I did make two. I wanted to see if you were going to apologise or not and uh, yeah. give you a big humble pie. Um, <laughs> so here's another one for you. Um, as we all know, it's been a crazy few weeks at Leeds with players not wanting to play for them. So let's take a look back at players who did want to play for them. Can you name for me the eight players who have made the most appearances for Leeds United in the Championship since it was rebranded in 2004? Simon Walton. Joke. Don't say, Don't take that as an answer. You've got three lives, by the way. Three lives. Most appearances. Um, it's actually quite hard because they had a massive turnover of players, didn't they? Um Muslim, one might say it's impossible. Um, 
I'm going to go with Liam Cooper. Liam Cooper is top with 184 appearances. He is their longest serving player after joining in 2014. So that's one down, Justin. The easy one, uh, again, is Luke Ayling. Luke Ayling is fifth. He's on 146 appearances. Surprised he went a bit higher yeah. in this list, actually. Um, that's two down. I will throw in... No, I'm not going to throw in Click. Um, a high turner of goalkeepers as well. Johnny Housen. Johnny Housen is not on there. You have yeah, lost a life, Justin. Um, two lives left, six remaining. It's actually really difficult. Um, Ross McCormack. Ross McCormack is on there. 143 games he played for Leeds in the Championship. He is sixth. That means you've got five to go. Ooh. Gary Kelly Fraser Richardson Fraser Richardson and Gary Kelly both aren't on there um, I'll give you I'll just take off one life for you there um, so one life remaining Justin I thought you'd do a bit better than this to be honest it's just that they had a really high turnover of plays pretty much until Bielsa came in you need to think a bit more about the Bielsa team really? yeah well, Pat, well, Bamford then. <laughs> Everyone apart serious? from him. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Bamford is not on there. Three out of eight, Justin. That is a pretty poor showing, I it's think. Um, it sounds like a you problem. Um, the players you were looking for were Stuart Dallas. He was second, 177 appearances. Uh, Calvin Phillips was third, 165. Pablo Hernandez was fourth, 151. Uh, Gaetano Berardi, 142. He was seventh. And finally, Sam Byram, 132 games and counting in a Leeds United shirt. Do you think you should have done better? Yeah, I did. I was looking in the wrong era. I was, I was focusing too much on the mid-2000s for some you reason. You were overthinking it a bit too much. Uh, Simon Walton's got in my head. Um, so to a Simon Grayson. So it is what it is. It is what it is. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday for another preview episode of all the games coming up in the Championship next weekend. So we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks. I've been just a peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.